Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing the final episodes of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Hide and Seek, and Farewell. I am so glad this season is over. (laughs) You're done. Liz is done. (laughs) Honestly, I think I would have enjoyed most of this season, despite maybe even because it's messy as hell, if not for the whole Yvette plotline, which just really, really ruined the whole season for me. And it's so integral to everything that happens, all of Picard's story and everyone else's, because no one really gets an arc of their own in this to any great extent other than Picard, that it's like a cancer. You can't just cut it out. Right. It, it penetrates everything. I just want to say, yeah. thank goodness we are doing these two episodes together. Because if we were doing just that episode... Oh my gosh. No. No one would want to listen to that. <laughs> no. We would lose our entire audience. At this stage, I am genuinely on the fence about whether we should cover season three in depth at all when it comes out. Because, honestly, yeah. talking about it has not been a lot of fun, and maybe we can just do a fun recap at the very end where we talk about everything we liked and not waste our time. Try to give this show our attention when it does not invest in its audience. Honestly, at this point, I expect season three to be a completely different show. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see when we get there. It's interesting because... This season was thematically better than the first season. Yes. And structurally better than the first season. And it definitely had a much, much better finale than the first season. Absolutely. I know that's potentially an unpopular opinion, but I hate the first season (laughs) finale. I think what's great about this season finale is that no characters were literally forgotten about. It's a low bar, but they cleared it. But it was sort of ridiculous. Everything that happened this season was nonsense or horrible. (laughs) And nothing in between. So, therefore, it was pretty difficult to really take... I really tried to just enjoy myself, and I made it to episode eight. (laughs) I, I had qualms up until episode nine, but they didn't stop me from finding the fun, doing my photo caps, just sort of not being upset about anything. (laughs) But episode nine really, really troubled me. Yeah. A lot. If it were possible to excise the event plotline, I really would have enjoyed hide and seek, but that's impossible. It's right there in the title. And... Yeah, the nonsense of this season was totally fun and totally great in a, sure, ice is bad, but have you considered all the other great things 2024 has to offer way? It wasn't deep. Uh, It thought it was deep. But it had moments of great fun and interesting ideas. And yeah, it would have been a good time. Unfortunately, there's just this horrible thread underlying it all. I didn't even 
like the, the final episode explained what he was doing, which was mm. great. Yay, Q had purpose, and I was very excited for Q's motivation. I actually liked it. Yeah. I liked everything Q. It was a really great ending for Q, a character I don't particularly like, but <laughs> none of that happened until the last episode. I did not care for Q at all mm. until, until the very end, and I didn't understand what the entire purpose of Picard's memories was until the previously on for the finale when they put Q saying this is a penance up next Mm. to his memories of his mother. That was the light bulb moment for me where (laughs) all of a sudden I understood what was going on this entire time. And I don't think that's great storytelling. No, I don't think you can bury your central theme that deep and hope to tell a coherent story. But let's talk about the Yvette plotline in Hide and Seek. And unlike Paramount Plus and Amazon Prime, we're going to drop a content warning. And in fact, if you go to our show notes, I will give timestamps for when this thread ends so you can skip it altogether. I'm also going to say that I have no direct experience with bipolar disorder or suicide and I have consulted with my friends who have both and asked them what I should say and they recommend imalive.org as a chat-based international resource for people who are in crisis and you've dropped here a link to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in the US Uh, 800-273-TALK that talk is 8255 this is kind of random but I love that American phone numbers do that or you can text home to 741741 from anywhere in the United States in Australia you can call Lifeline on 131114 my friends tell me that it is not the best resource but when they are in crisis it helps them to slow the crisis down long enough to get better help Yes, I've had some training as a crisis text person during the pandemic. That's when I did it. And I got to say, don't recommend. Does not sound (laughs) It was a lot. It was a lot. But we were trained to calm people down Mm. and then get them to call somebody that they know, somebody that they have a relationship with or a medical professional. Yeah, because... A stranger can't do everything, and also your friends and family can't do everything. You can't put it all on one person, and that includes yourself. And that is kind of my beef with this whole Yvette storyline, that... Okay, first of all, since 13 Reasons Why came out on Netflix a few years ago, there has actually been a lot of discussion about how to depict suicide in media and how to give appropriate warnings. And... None of this has been particularly niche. It's been mainstream. I remember it was in the Australian newspapers. So you would assume that the good people at Paramount Plus had heard it. So I've wandered along to the Action Alliance and looked up their guidelines for depicting suicide. And they have eight points. Convey that suicide is complex and often caused by a range of factors rather than a single event. I do think Picard did this. They make it pretty clear that Yvette had a long history of mental illness. Show that help is available. Eh. Nope. Nope. Portrays characters with suicidal thoughts who do not go on to die by suicide. Nope. 
No, they portray that Renee is anxious and depressed, but she's not suicidal. Portray everyday characters who can be a lifeline. Sure, Jean-Luc, but you can't put all of that on a child. Depicts the grieving and healing process of people who lose someone to suicide. I mean, that was the whole season. It's just that it's done in a really sensationalistic, surprise, it was a suicide way. Right, so that the actual only, other than looking back on this mm. entire season, and I guess on Picard's entire life that we've seen, yeah, other than retroactively seeing how this affected him, the only thing we really get is the rock through the window. And it feels sensationalist to do it this way. Use non-judgmental language. I actually think they worked really hard at this to the point where I think they actually glorify her suicide a bit, which brings me to avoid showing or describing the details about suicide methods. Is, is that the last one or, mm. or is there more? Because I have something to say about that. I have a lot to say. The very last one is consult with suicide prevention messaging experts and people with personal experience. I'm going to go with no. Uh, they yeah, did not. no. I don't think they even ran a Google search. So I have a lot of problems with this entire thing, but the, the fact that it was backwards, shot slow and pretty, that she was dressed as an angel and a princess. With the beautiful soft light. That she was lit from above. <laughs> the, the backwards stuff, it made it longer. Mm. It made it harder for me personally to watch. I absolutely lost my mind when we got the getting into bed with the kid, which is getting out of bed with the kid, mm. that it was, I could not, I can't. I am very, very distraught with that particular messaging and that viewpoint. It was just no, just a big no on that. So I really, really, really hated how they did this. Yeah. I hated how long we got to see her. I hated how it was instantly undone because of the backwards stuff. I hated that it was in the previously on for the next episode. Oh. You remember how season one, everyone was complaining that we kept seeing Hugh's neck being broken in the previously's on Discovery, and that was really yes. re-traumatizing for everyone? This was also re-traumatizing. So nothing about how it was portrayed. I've heard people call it beautiful. This is my issue with the Hunger Games movies, that you shouldn't show something that is horrible as beautiful no. in any way. It should be horrifying, always. And I'm saying this as an ex-teenage goth, but it shouldn't be soft and pastel and angelic and aspirational. Exactly, mm. exactly. Like, okay, so Schindler's List is very stylized. Yes. It's very pretty at times, but at no point is it not horrifying. Right. I keep thinking of the Apple TV series Severance, which is outstanding and I really recommend it. And it too has a fairly graphic suicide scene where a character hangs themselves. I should say they attempt to hang themselves because they survive. And it is also shot in a very stylized way, but we never see their full body. And when they return to work after a period in hospital, they still have the bruising around their neck. 
And the thing is, Severance is a very stylized show in general, so the shooting of that scene was not unusual. It wasn't a different aesthetic to the rest of it. And Apple TV put warnings before every single episode. They put warnings before the episode with the attempt. They put warnings before they showed it in the previously. They put warnings before you see the aftermath. And that was really outstandingly responsible. And the thing about these guidelines is, yes, they're a little didactic, and sometimes that is just simply not the story you want to tell, and that's fine. But in those cases, you put warnings. Even StarTrek.com and the Star Trek subreddit put up warnings. When Reddit is doing better than you, mm -hmm. it's a problem. I started watching ER last week, which I know makes you very happy. I, it and does. even in the early 90s, they were doing better with their depiction of suicide and its aftermath. I waited and waited for Sir Patrick to come out and have a little, if you're yeah. struggling, here's a phone number to call. I, I waited through the whole credit sequence because I was like, well, I would have put it after the show before the credits, but no, I'm sure they'll no. put it at the end. No. no. So there's this ABC Family, which is now Freeform, but at that time it was ABC Family show called Make It or Break It, which is a gymnastics show. It's ridiculous. Nothing realistic about it in any way. <laughs> but there is an entire season where one of the gymnasts has an eating disorder. She ends up mm -hmm. in an institution. She goes through this whole thing. And... Literally, it's a season-long arc, and every single episode, that actress came out and said, this happens to real girls, and if you are one of them, this is how you can get help. And if you know someone who has these symptoms, this is how you can help them. And when you're watching it and streaming and you're, like, binging it, it becomes really obnoxious oh, at yeah. a certain point because I memorized what she was saying. <laughs> But I would never say, don't do that. No. Because that's a real thing that real people deal with. And they were saying, yes, we are making this a storyline. We are fictionalizing this struggle. And we don't want it to harm the actual people who are going through it. And, and also because, particularly with anorexia, that's something that's like contagious by seeing yes. Instagram photos or seeing it in magazines. And suicide is the same way. There are studies that show if you hear about it and see it or people talk about it, then th that's what's like putting you in the mind. And on one hand, it's better to talk about it because then you can get help. So I'm not saying don't talk about it or don't put it in your fiction or don't, when you're a crisis counselor, you always ask, even if there's no indication that they're suicidal, you make sure anyway, because they are reaching out for help. So like, you should talk about it, but you have to talk about it in a way that, you know, you have to get the training. You have to pay attention to the people who know these things, who deal with kids every day who are going through this. Right. And... I have had close friends who have wanted to take their lives and I know that dealing with that is not actually in my skill set. All I can do is make them tea and help them find better resources. But it, it's just so complicated because as you say, you don't want to build a stigma around silence. We do need to talk about this, but we need to talk about this responsibly. And even Picard, which is very much a show aimed at adults and has pretty much chased away, I assume, its whole younger audience by now, adults are still vulnerable. 
adults can still be in crisis. This is a whole story about a young mother taking her life. Tell that story responsibly. There's also an implication here that there was no mental health assistance available. And I'm sorry, I've seen people who generally don't seem to have much experience with mental illness in the fandom say that involuntary psycholds, for example, wouldn't be a thing in the Federation because it's a utopia. And one, we have seen so many involuntary psycholds in the Star Trek universe. Like, they do that shit for fun. Second, I was discussing this with a friend who does have experience here, and she said, it's not the involuntary holds that's the dystopia, it's how you're treated and the healthcare you get. And I, I, I choose to believe, I cannot not believe that Yvette wouldn't have had a whole federation, Earth's whole resources available to her to help her be safe and help her recover. Right. Just the perniciousness of the this mentally ill character chooses not to be medicated and therefore nothing can be done with them story. It's a challenge because obviously bodily autonomy is really important, but when harm to themselves or others is a possibility, we as a society limit that autonomy and we try to do so. We should do so in a respectful and caring way, which restores their autonomy as quickly as possible. But this isn't even a discussion in the series. Maurice literally locks her in a room for the night. And I'm going to quote my good friend Tansy Rayner Roberts, like a werewolf. Yes, I have many things to say, but I'll try to keep them short. I went on a little bit of a rant about this idea that she doesn't want help. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I will accept that she doesn't want help, but what I want to talk about is why she doesn't want help. Right. And the whys that she doesn't want help, if she were living in 2022 Connecticut, mm-hmm. would be that there is a stigma to it, that once you are quote unquote crazy, that's all you are. Right. That's the number one thing about you. And once you admit to needing help, This is a very American point of view. I don't know about the rest of the world, but we have this ridiculous nonsense about not needing help and being rugged individualists who have a Protestant work ethic and nothing can get us down. And if something gets you down, there's something wrong with you. And I just want to say there's something wrong with the system. It is not you. It is not me. It's the system that keeps people from getting help is how absolutely impossible it is to get help. Mm. Again, very specific to America is the fact that it is a rigmarole to find a provider who takes your insurance, who your doctor knows that he can get a referral, who is in nearby to you a reasonable distance, who can prescribe medication and also do talk therapy who has the skills, someone who's a a specialist in domestic violence or gender or LGBTQ or whatever. These are things that are hard to find. Mm. The best therapists don't take insurance because taking insurance means that they don't get paid. And it is just, it's, 
impossible. And right now I know from personal experience that there is a wait list that is like six months to a year for most therapy because there's a mental health crisis going on. Yes. It's similar here to the point where it's cheaper for Australians to do Zoom therapy with an American than to wait and pay to see someone in Australia. And I think the other reason people don't seek help for their mental illness is that they either know that medications have side effects and they're afraid of that, or they don't want to go through the long and difficult process of trying this and that and the other and see what works because that is really hard and it can actually make things worse in the short term. None of these factors apply (laughs) to a vet card. My issue is that I want all of that to be better. Yeah. By the 24th century. I want access to be easy. Mm. I want intake to be something that you don't have to do 400 times in order to find someone that is helpful to you. I want it to be free. I want it to not affect your job or your relationships or your standing in society in any way. That's my utopia. Right. And I wonder if to, I don't like this term, able-minded people, to people who have no experience of mental illness, if they just think people are out there refusing treatment for the fun of it, or because they, they're young and they're on Tumblr and they think their mental illness is their identity, which is a thing, but it's a thing you grow out of. This is just all very able-bodied writing. And in terms of Maurice and his let's lock you in a room, <sighs> that's a bad idea. Yeah. But an even worse idea is to lock your wife going through, like, let's call it a psychotic break, just for fun. Sure in a room and then leave your child alone. Why is Jean-Luc even in that house anymore? Get that kid out of the house, send him to his brother at boarding school, just send him (laughs) away for the weekend, deal with Yvette, Mm. get her to a place where she's okay, put all of your efforts on that. His attentions are divided because he's trying to take care of his kid and his wife, and he takes care of neither of them. He literally just leaves. James Callis disappears halfway through the episode and we (laughs) never see him again. I have no idea what happened to Maurice Picard. I mean, that is Gaius Baltar all over, right? (laughs) But yeah, the thing is, the Picards don't seem to live in a community. It's just them on their own in their chateau. In a giant house! Yes! Our Picard has servants. Why don't they? There has to be someone. If Maurice doesn't believe in modern technology, who is out there helping him till the vineyard? Yvette should be able to go into town and see her family doctor and he can do a scan and go, okay, I'm going to prepare a hyperspray that will fix your brain chemistry and then you're going to talk to this lovely local gentleman, Monsieur Doctor whatever, and he is going to help you work through your problems. Come back next week and we'll see how you're doing. Date her. Like, Benadryl would have helped. (laughs) Like, literally anything. Do something to help these people. Your wife, who is struggling to the point where she wants to die, and your, I don't know, 10-year-old kid who loves his mom Mm. and doesn't like you, just 
Jean-Luc should not have been left alone. He should not have been left alone. Why isn't Maurice guarding the door if he's... Why isn't he in the this? room with her, talking None to her or bad. giving her a back rub to help her sleep? Because I, I, I polled my friends with experience of suicide attempts and 100% of them said what helped the most was calming down and taking a nap. I realise that sounds very trite. It certainly didn't solve their problems, but it, it helped. It's absolutely true. Like you said, Benadryl. Right. That's what I'm saying. When I was in a dark place, I went to the hospital and they gave me something to help me sleep because I couldn't sleep. Mm. And so that was all I needed to get to the next day. I just needed to turn off. Yeah. And then you can deal with it. The place I went was literally called respite. That like it's (laughs) respite care because they didn't immediately put me on an antidepressant. They didn't give me immediate therapy. They, they just helped me fall asleep. And I realize that sounds like the, have you tried yoga of mental health care, but it is such a useful and valuable first step. Give your brain eight hours to reset itself. And in the morning when you're awake, then we'll see what your baseline is. Just everything about this was poorly handled. And I hate moving on to our next step. I hate that Yvette and Talon both die to teach Picard a very important lesson. Because it really feels like Seven and, to a much lesser extent, Rafi are the only women in this show who get to exist in their own right. And to be honest, I think Rafi is only still around for Seven. And Seven's agency was taken by Agnes. Right! So, actually, no women (laughs) are allowed to have complete autonomy. Maybe Corey. But only after she escapes. Maybe the Borg Queen, in that she sort of comes to an alliance with Agnes. But, yeah, none of these women are free. I've been talking about the redemption of the Borg this entire season. That's all I wanted. Yeah. was the redemption of the Borg and the new collective and a Borg Queen who wanted to be a part of the Federation. All of that is great. But the fact that it was in the same episode as the Yvette stuff and Mm. it was entirely hinged on Seven being mortally wounded and they're having to assimilate Seven in order to change the Borg. Mm. It ended up being two parallel stories of women whose choices are taken away from them because they're in danger of losing their life. Yes. And I just, I don't like that parallel. That messed up my Borg storyline. In addition, which is why that that episode, I just, I cannot handle it. That episode is bad. I love Let's Build a Universe of Sevens. I love that the Borg Queen loves Seven and admires her every bit as much as Janeway. But I wanted Seven's Borgness to reassert itself as part of Seven's choice. And that scene could have been changed so easily so that Seven allowed it. Even if she wasn't really happy about it, she could have been asked and she could have said yes. Right. And and purely aesthetically, it really bugs me that her implants look exactly the way they did before, as if they were never gone. There's not even any bruising to say that they're new or anything. Like, that just felt so lazy. 
And yes, you're right about the, the dead women. And then you have this reformed Borg, which I love. But if you're going around offering assimilation to people who are dying, that's still duress. They still don't have a meaningful or clear choice. I, I don't want to push the cult thing, but your drones should be coming to you. Have you seen iZombie? No. I, I have this whole thing about zombies. I love iZombie. That's something that I watched with my son. We really enjoyed it. Mm. And... It starts out as just one zombie woman having adventures and, and solving crime, but it eventually gets to that same idea of becoming a zombie. Say, if you're if you're like dying of cancer or something, mm. you can become a zombie and it fixes you. You just happen to be a zombie. So there's the regular zombies who are just you know opposed to humanity and just want to create more zombies and take over the world yes and then there's our protagonist zombies who want to help people who don't have anywhere else to go and create utopian zombie worlds mm. where they only drink blood from and, and eat brains of already dead things that's so ethical. so I really love the idea of there being this alternate Borg who are similarly going to help people who have nowhere else to go, who either are suffering from loneliness and anxiety and actually would rather be a part of something mm. or who are mortally wounded or have a, a horrible you know, like in the first season, Picard was dying and he became a robot, right? So right. there's this interesting through line of choosing your identity and choosing what kind of body you want to embody. And I yes. think that's very interesting. And I wish that it wasn't tarnished by Seven not having the choice in the same episode with Yvette Picard. Right, because I feel like people like the Discovery writers would have taken that theme and made it really interesting and queer and trans. And here it's just like, mm, okay, you kind of Borg, that's cool. It's not an intrinsically bad idea. I just think it could have been executed so much better, which is really just this whole season, all the way down. <laughs> So yeah, so Talon, who I, I cannot bring myself to care about at all. No. <laughs> I don't want to say that Orla Brady was wasted because she did a great job and all, but we were promised a big role for Laris this season and she was in two episodes. Barely. And once again, I was watching thinking, this would be so much better if Talon was played by Gates McFadden and among all the discussions they have about people for whose death Picard feels responsible, Jack Crusher comes up because Picard can feel responsible for the deaths of men too. That's allowed. I just think even with the exact same ending where Talon dies and it inspires Picard, it would have been so much more meaningful and... and thoughtful if it had been Gates McFadden purely mm -hmm. because of the weight of seven seasons and whatever four movies right yes because we don't care enough about Laris and Talon no. and I say that as someone who loves Laris I literally wrote Laris Fick last season but I don't know who she is anymore and we haven't been given a chance to find out and Talon 
never felt like a fully fledged character. Like, I kept thinking she spent decades living alone on Earth, not really interacting people except apparently occasionally possessing them, but not if it's inconvenient to the plot, and just watching over this girl that she can never get to know. Talon should be a lot weirder than she already is. She should be, like, played by Brent Spiner levels of eccentric. And she's just an ordinary lady. You know, and and I say down here in our notes that the theme of the whole season ended up being loneliness. Yeah. But we don't get that from Talon, even though she should be lonely. Right. On paper, she's lonely and alone. But we don't really get any of that because all of her scenes are with Picard and they're all about him. Yes. We have so little sense of who she is when he's not around. Like, even Teresa, she has no scenes where she's not interacting with Rios, but I have a very strong sense of who Teresa is. And we didn't get that with Talon. They just used the lazy shorthand of having her being played by an actress who has another role in the series. But then they also undercut that existing character by taking out everything that made her appealing last season. This is what I mean when I say that I don't think the writers really understand or respect their audience. Because... When everyone loved Laris and Shaban, they weren't loving Laris as a love interest for Picard. They were loving her as a character who has this great partnership with her husband and their employer. And Talon isn't even that. I still could not tell you anything about Talon. In Hide and Seek, she's there for mm-hmm. the whole revelation, which I'm still, like, I just can't, no, she shouldn't be there. And then she, like, gives him that horrible line about how love makes it all worth it which no and then she gives him like this half-hearted hug i know (laughs) so awkward i was just i can't do it i couldn't do that and then in the last episode orla brady like acts everything she is so good in that last episode in her dying scene in her scene with renee i cared about their relationship i was totally on board with everything that was happening but none of it actually matters i am so angry that we didn't get to see more of talon's relationship with renee is renee what she expected she has made her whole life this young woman How does she feel about that? Is there a sexual or romantic component? Is it maternal? Is it simply a sort of parasocial relationship? I needed flashbacks. Yeah! We get all these flashbacks with little Picard. Why did we not get little Renee and Talon? If you're going to be doing all this visual stuff with the Yvette stuff, and then the very final shots of the whole season with... Picard and Laris and the pulling away, like that whole Mm. thing. If you're going to do these weird stylized bits, but then you're going to have the heart of this entire storyline be these two women talking in a room. Like, where is any of that? Right. There wasn't even any furniture in that room. There's just nothing. And I'm not saying that they're like, Orla Brady is amazing and... Penelope Mitchell did fine. They sold it to me and I cared, but I wanted more. I wanted to see it. I wanted to really understand what this relationship was. 
it was so much more interesting than almost anything else we got in the season and we barely got any of it. And I realise that's just you and I as people who really love female characters, but I realised as I was watching Picard that Kirsten Beyer, the actual creator of the series, has no writing credits this season. I don't think she was involved at all. Her only credit was as co-creator. And that, to me, says a lot. Kirsten is an amazing writer of Seven of Nine, going back to her time with tie-ins. And she's also a writer who really cares about relationships between women. And we saw that in a lot of the first season. And we saw it in Discovery, where she is the person who gave us the Laurel Cornwell friendship. And, and so I think with Baya involved, it would have been a much, much better season that realised that women are people, even when Jean-Luc Picard is not involved. What a damning statement. <laughs> and I love Picard. I really love the idea of a series about his twilight years. I'm just so unsatisfied with how he is written and how he sucks the oxygen out from every other character. I, I think Seven and Rafi's relationship could have been so much more central and interesting and less borderline abusive, except that so much attention was given to Picard that they sort of had to speed run it. We really needed even one scene where mm. they were in a relationship before they were in this awkwardness. Yeah. Because I do not understand their relationship at all. The kiss is amazing. Oh, okay? yeah. The kiss is beautiful. I am love it. I love everything about it. And even like the little banter after the kiss mm. was good, mm. but it didn't make sense on top of this because the way they were acting the entire season was that they had had a relationship and broke up. Yes. And you know I love relationships between exes and I will ship ex-spouses any day of the week. But this didn't feel shippable. And no. I know a lot of people feel otherwise and I'm really happy for them, but I just don't see what they were seeing. And that makes me sad. I, I just don't like it didn't it did not I do not understand this is another one of my like why didn't the show tell me how I'm supposed to feel mm. about this because I do not understand if I am supposed to be if I'm supposed to believe that they had a romantic and sexual relationship and then Seven's coldness turned Raffi off and Raffi's neediness turned Seven off and mm. then they came apart and now this is them coming back together. I think, I think that's the story that they're telling, but that's not what I got out of it. I got a much more, we wanted to have a relationship, but we couldn't, like we couldn't get there yeah. for these reasons. And so that kiss was much more of a, we are finally accepting this and, and going for it. It felt like their very first kiss as a couple. Right. It was really weird. I mean, like, the shows are bad at this because they really much prefer to do the will they, won't they, mm. than they do the resolution. And I get that and I understand. You know, like, I have this problem in Star Wars Rebels, which I love, is an, is an amazing show. But that has the whole thing where Hera <laughs> and, and Kaden are acting like a married couple for the whole series. The entire episode. Until the, the entire, last... the entire... Until the very end, when you find out that 
they haven't gotten together at all. And I'm like, I'm sorry, they've been married for five years? What? Right. But then also, they also have a kid. So it's none of this makes sense. And I have the same feeling of, are they fighting? Are they, will they, won't they? Mm. Are they scared? What am I supposed to get out of this relationship? I just want to be happy. And so that's what I'm, I'm going to say. You know what? Great. They have a kiss. And who knows what's going to happen next time. Part of me was like, oh no, if Seven's captain and Raffi's a first officer, then are we going to have another will they, won't they? Just because Star Trek likes that. And I got really upset, but I've decided to not be upset about something that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. First, I think this is why Hollywood should call me because I'm very bad at will they, won't they, but I love an established relationship and I write them I enjoy writing them. I'm not going to say I do it well, but I enjoy it. Second, one of my tropes, like diehard, absolute things I love, is we have been together and now for professional or plot reasons we have to not be together. So Seven is captain and Rafi is her first officer and they're trying to do the Janeway Chakotay thing of playing it professional while actually being deeply in love. I will eat that up with a spoon. Nothing we have gotten in season two sets the foundation for that, but I am willing to extend them the benefit of the doubt. But the thing is, I ship things really, really easily. It took 20 minutes of resolutions to have me shipping Janeway Chakotay like FedEx, and I still to this day ship it. So why am I not feeling it between Raffi and Seven? And you ship things even more easily. Oh, I ship things incredibly easy. I am upset that Rios stayed with Teresa. Oh my god. Not gosh. because I don't want him to be happy with Teresa, because that is great mm -hmm. and I love that for them. But the fact that he left Rafi is is really upsetting me. He was the only person in the entire cast who saw Rafi as a person yeah. and not an extension of them and their feelings. No, I know. <laughs> And then Seven and Rafi and Rios were such a great trio. Yes. However you wanted to see that trio, they were so good together. Even though when they were given scraps, like the nonsense mm -hmm. drone plot that they had, which was stupid as all get, that was a pointless video game scenario. But the fact that they were all three of them together doing it made it worth it to me. Absolutely. And we've lost Rios. And yeah. now Rafi is stuck with people who do not appreciate her. I'm very sad about it. We've had word that obviously Santiago Cabrera is not coming back. Issa Briones, Evan Ivagora, Michelle Hurd is literally the only character that's original to Picard who is staying on. And Rafi is treated like shit. And they gaslight her and the audience into thinking she deserves it. And she is not the problem here. I just want to scoop her up out of the 25th century and send her to the 32nd so that she can serve on Discovery. And, like, I realise that they sort of have a surplus of captains and first officers. But if they need an intelligence officer, I think Rafi would be great at that. Or she can just move to Navarre and hang out with the Coat Malat and the, the Romulo Vulcans. She would love that. That's good. That's good. But isn't Voyager looking for a captain? Oh, 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 yes. Okay. Rafi can captain the Discovery J. And yeah, 
that's that's great. Tilly can be her first officer, and the cadets can can come too. This is so I much. I just want better for Rafi. Yeah, I'm glad that she got Elnor back, but it's also he's leaving, so yeah. she doesn't actually get him back, and. Their closure was with a hologram, <laughs> so that didn't actually happen. And it's just, Rafi, we've seen, has a codependent relationship with Elnor and Seven, and the only healthy relationship she had was with Rios. Yeah. And he chose to stay in the place that arrested him. Okay. Two hours after he was there. I hate Rios's ending so much. I I love that he stays oh, yeah. with Teresa and Roberto, but they could have come with him. I'm just saying, this whole thing where the Latin family has to stay behind and save the world and live through World War Three and the nuclear holocaust, and no one talks about that. Rios is like, yeah, I'm going to stay. And Ralphie isn't, eh, what about World War E3. Are you gonna just... And then I watched Strange New Worlds and okay, spoilers, the Third World War isn't even mentioned in Star Trek Picard, even though it is very much relevant to what happens. And then Strange New Worlds is like, oh yeah, basically World War 3 has already started by 2022 and we're living it now. No one is concerned for Rios? I, I like to think that he, he got his family out of the line of fire and the whole reason that he died in Morocco was because he knew that would be a safe place for his family relative to North America. But, like, come on, guys. This didn't feel like a happy ending. Especially given that we already had that one line where we don't actually know what happened to any of these people because history was so messed up here. Yeah. So there is no reason to leave these people in the past. And I guess you could say, oh, well, Q didn't have enough energy, but that whole thing was dumb anyway. I, I choose to believe that Gaiden is telling a bit of a porky. And actually, 24 hours after Picard and everyone left, Wesley turns up and he's like, so have you thought about this some more? Do you want to go back to the 25th century and take your new family with you? You do? Okay. You need to pose for some pictures. We're going to set up a story. I need to check in with a new old friend, Gaiden, and then we're just going to go. That's the other thing. Right. <laughs> we, this is an episode where we have Wesley Crusher just wandering around mm. doing whatever he wants. Why couldn't he send them back to the future? Okay. I was spoiled for the Wesley thing because I saw fan bros complaining about Wesley turning up and saving the day. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. That is classic Star Trek. I love that. But he didn't. He didn't. No. With the actual plotline of this show. He was in the Corey show, which is a whole different show. Oh, I love the Corey show. That was only marginally like linked mm -hmm. up. And yeah, absolutely. I was way more interested in Corey. I loved her, like, I'm going to be in Barnes & Noble and delete my father's <laughs> life's work. That was great. That was, like, millennial supremacy. And I love but... that she, like, obviously the Wesley thing is very silly and it's pure fan service. But on a character level, I love that both of these kids who are raised to be something specific have just noped out of their destinies and gone off to do their own thing. I think that's fantastic. And, okay, this is silly. This is not going to happen. But Michelle Yeoh said that she's seen the scripts for Star Trek Section 31 and it's like Guardians of the Galaxy. 
And so I'm like, what if Star Trek Section 31 is Wesley and Corey and Giorgio and these characters who are lost and displaced? Oh my god. (laughs) I mean, I'm ready for that show. That show sounds amazing. Any character that the series, the franchise, has ever, ever discarded. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Pulaski, Prime Lorca, anyone who's ever been in the franchise that we like can be in this version of the show that lives in my head. Yeah, I, it was fine. I didn't, I, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say about Wesley. I don't, other than, is Wesley ever going to say hi to his mom? <laughs> <laughs> because I get the impression, no. No. That's what, no. I, that's what I've gotten out of it. I liked it because I have very warm feelings towards Wesley and Will Wheaton and also someone I'm friends with is just like, he was her first crush and he's still her main crush so I was really happy for her and she actually hasn't seen it yet and I'm waiting for her discord to explode. It was very silly but it does feel very typical that we have a whole season about Picard's inability to love and Wesley is a bigger presence than his mother. Yep. I mean that's just this franchise are for the course yeah yeah that's the next generation all over <laughs> I, one thing i didn't love about the wesley and cory bit is the way he gave her the choice where mm. it's like you can have a perfectly good life or you can have an exciting life with me and i was like well that's kind of offensive to all of the rest of us who are just living a perfectly good life and will never be given this option it reminded me of tapestry yes like, yes it was Doctor Who, that bit of Doctor Who that annoys me, and Tapestry. Just say no, guys. Normal lives are great too. However, I do love that Corey chose adventure and didn't even give it a second thought. It was great for her. Yeah. And it was just the way that it was presented. I just feel like it's similar to the Yvette storyline or the Pike storyline mm. in Strange New Worlds, where it's just, you could have this be a little more sensitive to real people. Yes. Did you know that your audience is not made up of Jean-Luc Picard's? I, I, I really do genuinely wonder. So here we are in America dealing with <laughs> the uh, abortion decision being overturned. My sympathies, and by the way. I feel like I've gone through 800 crises in the last eight years, but... One of my friends, every time one of these types of things happens, she gets on Twitter and she does a big long thread about not being a superhero, mm. but being a regular person because a big group of regular people has a lot more power than one superhero. Exactly. So don't fall into this idea that you have to be special in order to do something. It's actually... You have to do something in order to be special. And they could have so easily had that message <laughs> in Rios and Teresa's lives. These ordinary people in their truck going around saving lives. They just didn't quite thread that needle. Another thing, I would have loved to have seen <laughs> yeah. some of this. Why can't we just see some of this? Especially because we had those really, really short episodes with not a lot happening. I just want to reorganize this whole season. Just put it out on index cards and move everything around. (sighs) So I guess we're we're getting close to wrapping up. I'm very excited for Captain Seven of the Stargazer. 
I would have preferred Captain Rios or Captain Rafi, because we only found out last week that this was something that Seven ever aspired to. But okay, I look forward to her having a uniform, and I look forward to Janeway's celebration party, and it's going to be great. I love that he said, we're dealing with the Borg and you're the person who knows the Borg best, so you yes. do it. That was great. That was using all of that Borg discrimination mm. that has been a big part of both seasons of this show and turning it on its head and saying, that's a strength. Yes. That was excellent. I was so excited. I actually loved everything Seven in the final episode. I loved how she related to Rafi and I loved Captain Seven and mm. how she was totally good at it right away she was confident and that she was told in both instances that being a Borg was a strength and it didn't take anything away from her it made her who she is right that's a wonderful message that everybody needs to hear so great but I didn't get that until literally the last (laughs) I definitely could have done with less your trauma is really helpful actually it's a good thing from Rafi, let's not. And also the bit in Hide and Seek where Seven is talking about the soldiers and she's like, we can kill them because they're not people, they're just Borg. I'm sorry, but what has Seven's theme been for two seasons? I can't remember. Seven, literally you. You represent the idea that they can be saved. That's who you are. Once again, I feel like these writers maybe aren't even talking to each other or watching their own show? It would be one thing if it was like a a seven quirk, like she hated herself and so that's mm. why she was like that. But I did not get that out of her. No one called her on it. That would be a great time for yeah, Rocky yeah. to be like, hey, you exist <laughs> right mm. here, right now, mm. because someone didn't think that. And then she'd be like, oh, you're right. And then they kiss. Like also, they should have kissed like four times in that other episode. No, I know. That's why like their kiss in the finale feels like their first kiss ever of their relationship. It's just so weird. They had a whole conversation about we're going to die now and then oh. didn't kiss. Like what is going on, guys? And like stabbing a guy together is also very romantic. I'm very much in favor of it. But you can also kiss. You can stab a guy and then kiss. I've thought about it weird but so yeah the the index cards and moving things around and just adding stuff and subtracting stuff that there were some really really good ideas mm. and they weren't allowed to breathe i i also feel like they just gave so much time to picard's parents and the bait and switch of who is the abuser and how did a vet die and oh that Nothing else had space to be developed and, you know, maybe we needed fewer flashbacks to Picard's childhood. Maybe we didn't need to see the same things literally over and over and over again. This show's priorities really annoy me. I'm just going to say. My final thought is, you know, the transwarp conduit that has opened up and no one knows what it is? I think that species 10C sending Greg through. Or like a mini Greg. I know it's like a thousand years earlier, but you know, you you build your mining tunnels well ahead of needing them. I think it's stolen from the expanse. (laughs) That's my opinion. Ooh, nice. But 
my issue with that is we know that Allison Pill is not in the next mm-hmm. season. So why leave it open? Why did any of that happen? <laughs> why is, so she comes and she stops this thing. And that was great. That was a Guardians of the Galaxy like yeah, thing where they're like, yeah. we're going to build a shield and it's going to be great. I loved it. Again, yay for Borg getting characterization. Yeah. I love Borg characterization. I think that makes me a little bit weird in the fandom. Most people like want them to be zombies and scary, but I am much more cool vegetarian zombies in terms of the Borg. So that was great, but then it could have just said, and now I'm going to be here to guard it and you go do something. But it was more like, now I'm going to be here to guard it and thanks for your, like, it was just weird. They felt like it was setting something up, but we know it's not. That's my beef. I feel like the next we're going to hear of this is like a throwaway line in Discovery. And it's just going to be, oh yeah, that transport conduit formed 700 years ago. Here are the Borg. They hang out here and watch it. Nothing has happened. I think Prodigy, because one of the Prodigy writers was like tweeting about how their shows talk to each other. Which they absolutely have to, given the Voyager of it all. I think it's going to be related to Prodigy in some way. Which is, that's cool. That's interesting. That's interesting to me. I like the idea that this thread dropped in the Star Trek that's least friendly to new viewers is going to be picked up in the Star Trek that's made for new viewers. It's a little ridiculous, but we'll see what happens. Look, nothing else is going to get kids to watch this show. I don't want any kids to watch this show. <laughs> Just, we, we start with that. No don't one watch should show, watch children. this show. I think there are lots of people who like it. And yeah. I am happy for them. There are even people who like the event storyline and feel that it is speaking to them mm. on a personal level. And I am happy for them. That is valid and great. And I want that for you. I've seen those discussions. And I think what's key for me is that everything that was important to the people who found something meaningful in the event storyline, like it, it just could have been done differently and executed with as much meaning. I don't think I would ever like it. I no, me admit. neither. But that's just me. And just me. think of all the fun ableism conversations we're going to have next week with Strange New Worlds. We're just super fun, aren't we? Oh, oh, <laughs> <We're>, and... <laughs> look. <laughs> I, I loved Strange New Worlds. I just have this one problem, and it's sort of a big problem that goes back to 1967 and isn't going anywhere in a hurry. So 1966. Oh God. I guess 1967. But anyway, so yeah, I, I mean, and, and preview for next week, my big, big issue with Strange New Worlds and that storyline is that people are using, well, this story was already written mm. in 1966 slash 1967. And so we can't change it. And I fundamentally disagree. I think that is especially ridiculous when you have them out here quietly rewriting a mock time to give to Pring and Spock an existing sexual relationship. Which I love, by the way. I was going to passive-aggressively ship it, but actually I'm shipping it for real. So, spoilers for next week. 
spoilers for next week but we'll have two episodes next week as well so yes and overall i am much more positive about strange new worlds than picard and my flatmate made an noise every time akiva goldsman's name turned up in the credits but i actually think he's much better with episodic storytelling and i would even go so far as to say that he has some interesting ideas about mortality which come up in both episodes, both the Picard finale and the Strange New Worlds premiere. And we can get into that next week. Also, Strange New Worlds is the Star Trek that Ikebo Goldson wanted to make. This does not shock me. So, you know, he's better at it. <laughs> yes. Look, that just sort of reinforces all my opinions about how old-fashioned he is as a storyteller. But if he's telling a story that he's interested in, I th- feel like overall it's going to play to his strengths, limited as they are. The important thing is how much I ship Katrina Cornwell and Robert April. To the point where I forgot that April famously has a wife. Anyway, (laughs) thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, all at Antimatterpod. Also, we should keep talking about setting up an Instagram after the whole Elon Musk buying Twitter thing. And write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the first two episodes of Strange New Worlds. <laughs>